It might be an update for the Guardians, but we're going to talk about prospects, both current and former prospects that are on the move. We're going to talk about Ahmed Rosario as that debate bubbled up in a big way today. And we'll get into a mailbag, taking some questions from you, all on today's episode of Locked on Guardians. You are Locked on Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Guardians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of, of Scout, formerly of 24-7, where I was a lead draft and prospect analyst, now all of Locked On. Can I get it away from the little Chiron? Uh, a word burned in my head from watching too many episodes uh, and replays of Sports Night. I am your host, Jeff Ellis, as I previously stated, as I have been for 783 of these now. I think I just went and looked that up. You know, love me, hate me, ups and downs on this podcast. You gotta admit, 800 solo episodes. I have had friends hop on here and there, but mostly 800 solo episodes is a bit of a Herculean effort. So uh, it also might be a sign of insanity having that many episodes of me just talking to myself. But hey, the listeners seem to enjoy, and I appreciate all of you. And I really appreciate uh, people who go the extra mile for me. Aaron from Cincinnati, uh, My Cat Loves You, Stephen Kwan Lover. Listen, I Miles Straw, I'm glad I can make it not as painful, because let's be honest right now, it is super painful. And Belligerent Smurf, Smurf that's just a great name. So thank you for uh, your reviews on iTunes. That helps. It helps. Just like subscribing on YouTube, just taking that moment. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is you get podcasts. Uh, currently, the Red Sox are beating the Twins. I'll just throw that out there. We're going to start with prospects. We're going to move to Ahmed and the debate there. And then from that, we are going to get into your questions. So without any further ado, let's dive into prospects. Side note, when I was recording this episode the first time, instead of hitting pause, which I like to do to write down my timestamps, go look at the ad read, I hit stop. And I am not the best at putting video back together. So guess what? Just a take two, hopefully cleaner this time. (laughs) Let's get into the big prospect talk of the day, which was... Yonder Diaz. So I'm going to get into, we can't, yeah. Would he be nice on the Guardians? Yes. But like, you can't get mad about this. And we'll get into the why in a second. For those who missed it, Yonder, Yaner, I went and looked on baseball reference. They don't have a pronunciation key. Uh, Andy, if you're listening, let me know. Going through the this right now. So he's going to be one of their September call-ups, it looks like. He's going to be added to their 40-man roster. That's right, he's going to be added to their 40-man roster because they chose not to add him in the offseason. They thought so little of him as a prospect. And the Astros do not have a deep minor league system. It is not a good nor deep minor league system. Uh, it is, there's with the, the loss of draft picks that hurt, with trading away a lot of players that hurt, I mean, you get that. It's kind of crazy to look, though. It forced Whitley already down at nine. Like, I remember when he was one of the top prospects in baseball? Joe Perez, who's played in the big leagues this year. I remember when, you know, he was a high pick who couldn't stay healthy. You go through, it is not a list with, you know, big names. I mean, Seth Martinez is 28 years of age, and he's in their top 13. They've got some older prospects. Uh, Sean uh, Dubin at 26, nearly 27. Like, this is not a great... Unless J.J. Medikevich got some time in the big leagues, and he's also approaching 27. 
there's not a lot of depth. The interesting one to me was to see Tyler Whitaker on their midseason list all the way down at 33. Now I kind of want to check out what happened there. He was their highest round pick two years ago, and he was a big power guy that was almost universally viewed as a, a top two round pick and ended up going, I think, in the third round for them. Uh, I think it's just too much swing and a miss. So it's interesting. But to get back to Diaz, Houston's minor league, you don't necessarily say it's a trash can, but, you know, it is definitely a trash can being hit repeatedly. Uh, It's not good. And a lot of their guys have been promoted. They've kind of, you know, they have used that system to become a great team, either through promotions or trades. And again, Cleveland added straw. Cleveland's been looking for a center fielder for years. And Stephen Kwan actually has not looked great metrically in center field. Straw, if you go back to his historical data, he's been, you know, a below average bat. And if he could get back to that, you're you're golden. Like there's a reason why when I was talking with, you know, guys who are connected to like the Seattle Mariners organization, that they thought that Seattle would try to acquire Straw. There were people from other organizations who really wanted to add him because of the defensive value. And the fact is we know he's not gonna be a league average bat. We knew that he probably played over his head last year. I talked about that on this very show. We didn't expect him to turn into the worst hitter since the dead ball era. And again, I don't know what's going on with certain guys like Straw and Fran Mill, where they just seem to like talk completely in and nothing is working. And Fran Mill leaves and immediately gets fixed. But something isn't right with Straw. But at the same time, what he represented was a potential three-win player and a gold glove top-of-the-line defender who then also helps you out if your corner outfielders are not as strong with their glove, he can bail them out a bit. That hasn't been the case this year. But, I mean, he, he looked really good a year ago. We'll see what happens. Like, that's about all we can do right now with Straw. We'll see. I I don't know how you help, but you hope and you you check back. On the other side, the Guardians protected 12 players at the end of this year. Diaz wasn't going to be one of them. We didn't know there wasn't going to be a Rule 5. Houston, I believe, had spots open and chose not to protect him. They didn't value him. He kind of broke out this year. And at the end of the day... He's incredibly valuable because he has plus power and he's not an everyday catcher, but he essentially could be a guy who takes a roster spot and is like a third catcher, like maybe catches 50 games there. I think he's never caught more than 50 in a minor league season. Uh, But, you know, maybe he catches like 40 games as a, you know, a plus bat while also though playing DH first base in a few different spots that way, kind of a super utility at those three spots. It's not really a super utility, but get my point. It gives you another player who can catch and be a plus bat at that position, potentially. He's never struck out much. He's never walked much. So he's going to be definitely a contact type of guy. But you do like the power potential in a guy who's striking out, you know, under 18%. Uh, the walk rates were actually not too bad before um, in double A and last year in high A. But here's what it comes down to if you're Cleveland. Here's a guy who has an undefined position, who is in low A, who has good numbers, very good numbers, but you have a ton of prospects you have to roster. You're afraid you're going to lose him because catchers get taken. Like I got into this debate with people who were telling me you didn't need to protect La Vestida. And it's like, no, catchers are actually the third most drafted position amongst hitters. Uh, you know, young catchers get drafted because you can stash a young catcher as a bad team. It's not that hard. So, you know, they thought there was a chance they might lose him, and they figured, hey, we'll trade him now, we'll upgrade a position on this team, and he's not someone we're going to roster. And then Houston didn't think enough to roster him. 
So yes, he has broken out this year in a big bad way across two levels, but you can't get mad about this because 10 times out of 10, you want to trade the the uh, position questionable guy in low A who already has to be added to your, um, your 40-man roster. Nine times out of 10, that guy doesn't even make it to the big leagues. This is the time it happens and it looks bad, but you really can't get mad about this situation. And I mean, you want to go back and look at it. If you want to be mad about a, a handling the rule, uh, a 40 man do the rule five, it's Oscar Gonzalez. Remember, they didn't add him. He could have been taken in the rule five draft because they wanted to protect Mercado and Zimmer. So, you know, we will see, but I, I don't think you can get mad about Diaz. It, you just, in my opinion, you can't. Uh, internal minor league movement. We have, speaking of, you know, not knowing anything, talk about how the Guardians don't like college pitchers to go out and pitch. Well, they've only had three players from their draft appear in the minors this year, two of them college pitchers. Uh, remember, there's going to be definitely 10 of them that don't appear because you can only have 180 guys in your minor league roster, but it expands to 190 if those guys have not played this year at the end of the season. So they could have up to 11 guys appear, but you also do have to make cuts in movement. Uh, Adam Talalak, who we talked about, was the first, who was their 15th round pick out of Arizona, who'd been at like four different organizations. After that first horrible start, he came back one and two-thirds innings, one earned run, three hits, one walk, one strikeout. Still not great, especially for a 22-year-old in Arizona. Zachary Jacobs, their 18th round pick out of UC Riverside, went two-thirds of an inning um, across just one. It says two games, two innings pitched, one earned run, uh, two strikeouts. Again, for a you know, these both these guys are in their 20s. Jacobs is only 20, as opposed to Talalak, who's 20, so or 22. Still, you're hoping a bit more. And then Joe Lampy, uh, they listed him as being moved from uh, double from Arizona to Lake County. And just to get into that, he didn't appear in Arizona. And you know, as a third round pick, they paid him a lot of money, a lot of money. Uh, more than I think anyone kind of expected him to get who was following the draft. So they believe in him quite a bit. He's, I think, you know, their next Brennan, next, I'm not going to compare anyone to Quan, but that's what they're kind of hoping for with him in that profile. Uh, he's getting moved up to, I'm sorry, not to Lake County, to Lynchburg, along with uh, Angel Genoa, who in a lot of places is considered a top 20 prospect, one of those young players you got to keep your eye on. Will Dion, who is the left-handed pitcher from McNeese State, great numbers, but he was old for the level at Lynchburg, moving up to Lake County. The only reason he hasn't moved up before this is because just the pitching depth, some Kershaw to his delivery. Not necessarily not comparing anyone to Clayton Kershaw, but to his delivery. And then also from that same draft class, uh, second-round pick, we forget about Doug Casey to a bit because Gavin Williams has been so good. Tanner Bybee has been so amazing. Uh, just the performances up and down. And Casey's kind of struggled a bit. I think he might be more of a reliever long-term, but he is getting the call-up from Lake County to Akron. Jordan Jones and Jimmy Arreas are moving down from Akron to Lake County. Arreas is the new Tanner Tully. Uh, Tully got those chances in the big leagues. You know, he's an Ohio State kid, living in Columbus, making okay money now that he has pitched in the big leagues for a bit. And he gets to stay in Columbus. That's got to be a bonus for him. He's not the guy moving up and down. That's not Jamie Arias, who's being the organizational soldier and taking one for this team constantly. Uh, also should point out, Cody Morris is, I believe, getting some bullpen work. Had through two innings the other day. Four Ks, no hits. I still think he is in line for a September call-up. We're going to take that first break right here. I'm actually going to hit pause this time. And we will come back and talk about Ahmed Rosario. Will we? Won't we? We'll get into the numbers. 
Let's talk about our good friends over at LinkedIn. Are you geared up for fall? You need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job and put the purple hiring hashtag frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the right candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockdownmob. That's linkedin.com slash lockdownmob to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. So, you know, we heard the joke with uh, with Andre Nod and Jose about extending Ahmed Rosario. And we do know that Jose and Ahmed are tight. So let's get into it. So how good is Ahmed? And depending on your metric, uh, you might have different... My co-host wants to jump in, have some different takes on it. Because here's the thing with, with Ahmed. He doesn't barrel up the ball. He doesn't walk. And by a lot of metrics, he's a substandard defender. About the only one I saw that is grading him positively is baseball reference. Fangraphs has him, uh, you know, and on Fangraphs, he started out above average. As the year has gone on, the data has gotten worse, and now he's below average. And if you look at about his outs above average on Baseball Savant, it's really bad. It has him as extremely poor. Uh, and, you know, we talked about some of these stats with uh, Owen Miller where he has a, a positive on baseball reference, or not, a baseball savant and a negative everywhere else. Looking at, you know, the shortstop position for Ahmed, it, it's a negative four because, uh, you know, his, I'm sorry, that was, yeah, negative four. He's got a negative one in left field from this year. Uh, he's the opposite of Owen Miller. The one thing he does well is coming in, going left, going right, going back, all pretty low scores. It shows him to be, like I said, no, a seventh percentile defender for his position. That's that's not good. <laughs> you want to be ninety third percentile, not seventh. And again, the fact that it's it's a low walk rate. He doesn't strike out much, but that's also why he is like amongst the lead leaders in grounding into double plays. I, there is many of them this season. So you know what are his high percentiles on there? He runs fast. His sprint speed, uh, his K rate, his expected batting average. But if we also go back and just look at his overall data this year, he's got a 105 runs created plus. That's been kind of slipping, if you're paying attention. Like, it went up. First, it went very down. Then it went up. Talk about he's kind of evening out. And he's going to be what he has been every single year, which is a below-average defender at the position, an average to above-average bat. What does that player get on the... If you're curious in terms of war... His war value this year as a shortstop is 14th, nestled between Bobby Witt Jr. and Jeremy Pena, a pair of rookies. Uh, above him, Jorge Mateo, who was off the scrap heap for Baltimore, former top Yankees prospect, went to Oakland, to San Diego, to Baltimore. Uh, you know, a lot of guys. 14th best shortstop. If you just want to know his runs created plus, like offensively, since that's what he excels in, he would be the 11th best shortstop. So his defense does pull him down. Here's my view. I get he brings a lot, but we're talking about a player who's clearly in the midst of a career year. Who, let's see, he is going to turn 27 in uh, the offseason. 
I'm totally fine with having him stick around for next year. Let him play the shortstop position. He walks, you get nothing. That could happen. I don't know what the trademark would be on him because he is what he is again. You know, he is a above average bat, slightly, and a below average glove. There are a lot of teams who don't want a below average glove. And if you are Cleveland, one can make a very easy case that, you know, sitting over there at second baseman is the best shortstop on the roster right now. And they have built these waves of young talent. Rokio is looking very good. Gabriel Arias has struggled with health, but there's definitely been some ups and downs with him. Listen, I've had my concerns with, with Miller and Freeman. I've compared them to each other, but I still think Freeman can find a way to be productive, mostly as a backup at the big league level. Again, I'm totally, I'm not saying trade Ahmed, don't, but I also don't, absolutely do not think he's the guy you look to extend. Um, and I don't think the front office will look to extend him either. Yeah, he's, it's great. He's in the clubhouse. Jose loves him. You're not going to make a decision based on that. <laughs> Jose is already here. He is locked up. If Ahmed goes, it's, it's you know, Jose may not be happy, but there's other people he's close with. You can go back, you know, earlier this offseason when Ahmed was really struggling, offseason, earlier this season when Ahmed was really struggling. I remember very clearly in a Zach Meisel piece when people are like, well, can you trade him and or, you know, release him or do anything with him with his struggles because he's close? And Zach wrote a thing like, well, you know, Jose does spend a lot of time with Miles. Now, it hasn't gone well for Miles this year either, but he's locked up for five more years. There's not a whole lot they can do. Ahmed, it's one year, and I am not extending a guy who is marginal. He's going to be like a three-win player pretty consistently. And last year is a 2.3 war. This year he's at a two war. I mean, maybe not even a three war by the end of the year. And again, this doesn't make me a hater. It doesn't make me, but it just, it's the truth of the matter. He's not a you know lockdown defender, and they're okay with that because they've shifted to more of the fly ball than ground ball approach. You don't really need a lockdown defender, though it's nice to have at shortstop. But the defense and the limited offensive profile, and you know I've just talked about, it. he is a streaky guy. We're kind of seeing that this season as well. This isn't hating on him. Again, I'm saying he's a good regular. He is a top 15 shortstop, but I'm not paying a guy who's not top 10. And especially when you are a team that has a limited amount of funds you can spread around and you have 40 million, um, that is the exact count, by the way, shortstop prospects in the upper minors, you're just, it doesn't make any sense. So my view on this is, I'm sorry, uh, I'm not paying Ahmed Rosario. I mean, a shortstop in the open market, he'll probably get somewhere around 12 million a year if he can keep being about two and a half to three uh, war player. I was trying to think like a similar player and to see what they got when they were a free agent. You know, it's kind of a little weird too because you just don't see a lot of guys his age uh, on the market. It's typically teams are going for someone bigger uh, or you know a higher name. It's like I looked at Zach Cosart who got about twelve million uh, a year when he went to the Angels, but he's already into his thirties and he was more bat than uh, more glove than bat. I was thinking about um, hot the. Uh, let me make sure Ha Sung Kim with the Padres, but he was, you know, there was debate if he was going to be a starter utility type when he got his contract. And that was only about 7 million per year. But I think no matter what, you're looking at at least 10 million plus. And for me, when you have, and again, if they had nothing, like, yeah, let's do it. But when you have, I mean, Rokio, I don't see how he doesn't work out. 
while these millions of shortstops, I feel very comfortable in that situation, using that 10 million in a bigger area of need and moving on. Let me know what you think. Am I just continuing to hate for no reason or do you under, does the logic track? Uh, remember, you can always hit me up at Jeff MLB Draft or right here in the comments on YouTube. We're going to take a break and come back and take your questions. I want to do another quick shout out here in this segment to uh, Brad and his son. If you're listening to the Guardians, as I believe you told me your son uh, called it, uh, I hope you're enjoying the show today. So let's let's go through these questions. I want to hit them in the order the people are uh, asking me questions. Uh, from at Bowfreak, Bill Abel, uh, this team is close to being real contenders. How about cashing some prospects in for a le- legit right fielder and a first base DH? I don't think we should bank on Gonzalez and Jones. I'm not opposed to that at all. Uh, it's finding who is that guy. Like I really thought, like I like Kyle Lewis. Just hasn't been there uh, for him or for the the Mariners for that fact. It's kind of hard finding that player who's been consistent. I I mean, if you go and you trade for Ian Happ, it's just a one year rental right now. That's the problem. It's like, is that enough, or do you just want to hope that it is one of those young guys? I think with Naylor, like his general health, you have to just view Josh as the DH and I think that's part of the reason they moved on from Fran Mill because you can't have two DHs uh, it's kind of a big fall for Naylor in terms of position considering you know he was like an outfielder then it's like well he can probably handle first too hey maybe my OOTP from uh, 2021 is right that had like negative defensive values at all positions for him uh, you know and you just want him also to be able to, to just physically be able to hold up and I think that's why you're probably looking at him more at DH. I, you know, the first base market is always cheap. It's one of those things like you could always be, I mean, CJ Cron hits everywhere. I know the danger is he's in Colorado, but could you maybe try to acquire him? I, I, don't, and I don't think it'd be that expensive. Uh, next up, Kevin M. Schendler. Do you see any big prospects like Bybee Williams, Espino filling into the rotation next year at some point? Bybee and Williams, no, because the 40 man is the 40 man and it is a crunch. And I think that we'll have those guys kind of wait their turn. Espino needs to be added at the end of next season, so maybe. And they're going to want to build up his reps after essentially missing all of this year. I mean, he went down in, what, April? He he. It's it's a very uh, Tristan McKenzie-esque situation uh, from a few years ago where he missed almost an entire year after having a super late start the year before that. And Espino, I mean, that's always been the issue is the injury. Uh, I think Logan Allen might be the guy that they move up a little quicker over a Bybee or Williams, but those would be the guys I think you talk about. Espino makes the most sense because they have to add him. Uh, Aaron, uh, my Virginia friend, uh, any regrets for the straw trade? I I did in segment one. I think no. Because again, you can't get mad about a dude that nobody believed in. Houston didn't even roster him. I, I don't think you can get, you know, that that's a situation no nobody was betting on it. Nobody was betting on it, and uh, yeah, occasionally those happen. You get lucky, right? I don't even think he was a top 30 prospect anywhere. How much longer will Bieber from uh, CHT 2022, how much longer will Bieber be on this team? What type of moves could you see the front office making this offseason? Maybe some specific trade or free agent signing predictions. I don't think we're going to see any free agent signings. Um, it's just not their way. It is always a fool's errand. Uh, not a lot of teams find success. You more often end up regretting it than being thankful for it. In Cleveland's recent history in free agency, when they've actually spent a few more dollars, 
outside of like Cesar Hernandez before the 2020 season, it has not worked out. You can go through almost every single guy they've thrown money towards. It hasn't worked out. It's been those lesser deals. It's been the guys like Eniel. It's been the guys like, you know, the was it Kevin Millwood, if you want to go real back on the cheap deal. Scott Casimir, the, uh, you know, the relief types that have been successful for them. I know the last two were starters, but you get my point. I don't think it'll be for agency. Trades, you know, it's... Okay, here's the thing with trading Bieber. Logically, I've talked about this offseason makes a ton of sense. I don't think they're going to do it because the rotation is so uh, disjointed. It's pitched great in the second half. But where has been that consistency? You know, Will Quantrell, and if, you know, I know I promised originally we are going to preview the uh, the Orioles today, and that just didn't happen because we had enough other things going on, and I didn't want to squeeze it into the third segment. It's like, can Quantrell keep it going? He's been a little up and down this year. Uh, Savale, pre-injury, he was a mess. There's no way around it. It was his worst season as a pitcher. And then, as I've talked about many times, Savale can't stay healthy. So how can you count on him? McKenzie, listen, he, every year that bout of inconsistency gets smaller and smaller. Hopefully next year there's none. But you look at, you know, this is what, his third year up. That little up and down point has gotten smaller and smaller. He is looking great. Then you got Plesak. Want to talk about inconsistent? You know, it, it's him. Uh, great. Even, even You look at his last loss. Uh, that's like the perfect encapsulation of Zach Plesak. Only gives up three base runners. All of them are home runs. That is just, that's great. Because it's like, I mean, he was dominant, but except for the points, he wasn't. So, you know, I think Plesak, they might see if there's a market, if teams become a little desperate for starting pitching uh, to consider, you know, calling up or giving one of these young players a spot. But they also haven't just given spots to young players. That hasn't been their way. And... As much as I like Hunter Gaddis, as much as I like Xavier Curry, I'm not sure they're more than back-end types. I think they could both be excellent in the pen. That's always been kind of my view. But I kind of look at it as a situation where it's hard to move on from Bieber right now. I feel like I'm going to cough here. Let's pause the show. And, you know, just to kind of put a cap on this, as much as I've been like, you know, I think they might trade Shane Bieber, it's at the end of the day, who are they going to trade him to? They're not going to trade him to a team in the American League. They've avoided that with... All of the pitchers outside of Cooper, who we knew wasn't the same guy anymore. Uh, with the last two, they've tried to shift them to the National League. So where are you going to trade them? The, you know, is it the Mets? Uh, if you're looking for like what they have, yeah, they do have top prospects. That might be the team. Uh, for as much as we all love Bo Naylor, is there a world where you can get Francisco Alvarez, the top prospect in all of baseball? Probably not. <laughs> Let's be honest. Those guys don't really get moved anymore. But, you know, Brett Batty is an interesting uh, power hitter that is, you know, currently playing for them. I'm trying to remember if he's a lefty or a righty. Uh, he is a lefty, so not quite ideal. But they have a lot of interesting prospects, more to the point. You know, they have guys like that. Kevin Parada, who they got in this year's draft. Uh, you know, I'm a, I've talked about being a very big fan of his. And Matt Allen was a recent, uh, considered the top right-handed pitcher in his draft class. They have interesting prospects in spite of all they have done. And we know they're going to spend, and they're not afraid to go make a big move. And you talked about that pitching rotation. I believe DeGrom's going to be a free agent. So let's say they decide that he is not the guy they're going to pay. I think Walker can be a free agent as well. 
asking Chris Bassett, he's getting at here, that's probably the team you want to talk to. Atlanta, they actually have some pretty good depth in their pitching staff, and they've been kind of tempted not to do it. Philly can always need more, but they just don't have the pieces as you continue to go around. I don't think the Brewers, another contender in the National League, would, and they look more like they're kind of in a mini teardown than a buildup. St. Louis, maybe. Again, the... You look at their pitching staff, and Flattery, I believe, is out for the whole year. They went and added Jordan Montgomery just to kind of expand it. Uh, Joel Quintana is another one. They're, they've got some placeholders in place for them. And, you know, Adam Wainwright continues to divide, uh, to avoid time. Miles Miklos has been a little good this year, not so good the year before, a little up and down. They have the pieces as well. Like, if they're willing to talk Jordan Walker, that's when I'm like, okay, like, let's talk. I, I loved Walker. Another, no, he's a righty. I, I I talked to him up in his draft class. You know, for the ones I get wrong, this is a, a right time. You know, I, I was high on him as anyone. There was all the things where I was like, make a list of the things that are most likely to make a guy break out. He had all of them. So, uh, yeah, I, I doubt they would move him. But they also have some of their young guys who have broken through, and it's like, yeah, I don't think they're trading Walker, but it, could you do something you know you're not getting ty o'neill either but is there something in here i think they have the depth to make something interesting happen they've kind of avoided that big all-in move you know they're connected to lindor at times is interest but maybe bieber's the guy that they go and do that for uh you know the padres are a constant uh team this they trade with but i mean i think by now we can kind of say it's a little barren it's a little, I love their draft class, but are you going to trade for a bunch of the, you know, the, the Lesko and Campesino and and who else are you going for? Robbie Snelling after that. It, it's hard to make that fit. And then, honestly, I think, you know, the Dodgers are the other team that it's the elephant in the room. If it's not the Mets, and that's, this could be the one thing. If you want to know how it could work, you're playing the Mets and the Dodgers off each other. You're playing the two big markets against each other. Because, you know, I, Michael Bush was a guy I, I really liked coming out of UNC. I'm, I, I think I took him in my redraft of that draft for the Guardians. Uh, you know, another lefty, though, but an outfielder, first base type. Numbers this year aren't quite as strong, so he probably can't lead a package as a AAA guy. But, you know, again, high-end guy at catcher in Diego uh, Cartella, but he's in the lower minors. Bobby Miller throwing huge gas. Uh, Andy Pages continues to move up solidly through the system. And, you know, Miguel Vargas is an interesting guy in the upper minors who could help the Guardians. I talked about him in the offseason. I was talking about kind of some sleeper types. And it's the Dodgers. So even their bench has some interesting guys. Like, you know, players who aren't playing all the time. Would they consider moving a Gavin Lux? Would Cleveland still want a Gavin Lux? That was the big guy with the Lindor talk back in the day. Uh, You know, Lux has been solid, he has definitely not turned into the star I think most people thought. A 129 runs created plus this year, though, is, is pretty star-like. 3.3 war. So he's finally moving into it. Obviously, I haven't paid enough attention to the Dodgers. The Mets are probably the pipe dream, if you can get them. But the Mets, the Dodgers, and the Cardinals. That's kind of what you're hoping. The more I talked about, the more maybe I'm talking myself into it. But again, it's hard to, hey, we're going to trade our, our ace when we need pitching and go get a kid who's in double-A when we were in contention in September. It's just not a good look. It's like, how do you figure that out? How do you thread that needle? But at the same time, he's only got two years left. 
I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been Locked on Guardians podcast for today. Remember to rate and review, subscribe on the YouTube. It all helps. Remember, the YouTube is my big push because, like, that becomes another way to help, you know. Let's put it this way. I do about 20 of these a month. It's not like the old days where I was making about a dollar an episode, but it's still not uh, certainly huge. You know, I'm thankful for everything I get. Uh, People keep saying the Guardians play in a weak division. Subscribers on YouTube. Once we hit 1,000, it just it's a big help to me. So again, you never have to watch it. <laughs> just go, if you have a Gmail, go hit subscribe, and I would very much appreciate that. Uh, and as I end every show now, go, go, Guardians, go.